Welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And in today's conversation, I chat with Brandon Porter II, author of If Obama Had a Son. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. This is your first time listening. I'm thrilled to have you on and, and glad that you'll be, be sharing some time with us today in conversation with Brandon Porter II. If this is your second, third, fourth, 45th time, I appreciate your continued support. And if you like what you're hearing, I'd love for you to, to leave us a review um, on iTunes. You can throw us a few stars, leave a comment as well. That'd be much appreciated. Today's conversation is with Brandon Porter II, hailing from Memphis, Tennessee. We discuss legacy. Um, after growing up in Memphis uh, with his father, who's a big-time pastor and author, um, he had this idea from a fairly young age, um, but there was a turning point that changed the idea of legacy and, and turned it into something that was real. So we, we chat about this concept um, we also get into to racism, uh, a social justice issue, and a human issue uh, that, that starts at the heart. He was sheltered and, and shielded from this uh, growing up, but uh, there was a turning point and a catalyzing moment when this changed, um, and he continued to, to spread knowledge uh, and spread awareness on on racism and, and the systemic issue that it is. So we chat a lot more in depth about this. Um, and then we shift into, uh, into his book, uh, which is really intertwined throughout the conversation, If Obama Had a Son. Uh, incredible book. I had the opportunity to read it. And it is full of a lot of really great content from start to finish. So I'd recommend that you, you grab that as well. Um, the details will be in the show notes um, after this podcast. And there's several different concepts as well that we break down from this book. Um, racism is one, legacy is another one. And also talk about about faith and about God and how it's been the, the backbone and the, and the core component through all of this as well. Excited for you guys to hop in today. Um, so let's turn it on over to the conversation with Brandon. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I'm joined with Brandon Porter. He's the author of If Obama Had a Son. He's a finance professional and a disciple of Christ. Uh, so Brandon, thanks so much for hopping on today and spending some time with me. Man, Tyler, thanks for having me. You know I'm excited definitely be anticipating this moment man in this interview so thank you for once again having me man i'm definitely honored to be here thank you no doubt I, i'm excited for this conversation as well there's there's a lot of good stuff i want to talk about so uh before we hop in i would love to to open up in prayer just to kick things off in the right in the right way absolutely father we thank you today for another day another day to to live to be to be free in you and have the opportunity to, to connect with one another um, as brothers in Christ uh, we th we thank you for uh, even just this opportunity to to share our stories share share what we've what we've gone through uh, but then also how these stories are are, are, are real in our real life today and, and how they impact so many other lives and the power that a story can have. Um, so for this conversation, I, I pray for um, for good fruit. I pray for uh, so whoever is listening right now, uh, just to even get one small thing, uh, inspiration, uh, find some love, find um, some unity in, in this conversation, and that they may go off and, and, and be inspired to, to, to be more uh, and be who they're called to be. Uh, so with this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So uh, I, I want to start off kind of on the on, on the bigger bigger topic. Um, yeah. Or at least something fairly recent. So uh, I want to speak on your book. If Obama had a son. Um, so I we you know I had the chance to meet you in person and uh, you you gave me a copy of the book. I was I was pumped up. I and I actually on the plane ride back home. Uh, I read the entire book. So it, 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 it was awesome. It was really cool. And it, it, uh, 
I I went back through, you know, highlighted, went back and looked looked at some things over again, and uh, really love diving into every page. Um, that being said, I, I want to hear uh, just for those who might not be familiar um, with this book, I, I just want to hear maybe a, a quick a quick pitch of what someone can expect by reading this book. Wow, man! So really, it's it's kind of a lot to kind of throw in that, but man, it, it, yeah. it's pretty much giving you if Obama had a son gives you or gives the reader, I would say, a sense of significance. One of uh, first being, uh, from my perspective, the significance of sonship, uh, also fatherhood and legacy. Um, but as a whole, really, what are you to society, right? And what can you contribute um, as a whole, as a counterpart? What is purpose, right? What is defining purpose? What is actually um, developing gifts, right? So it's meaningful to society. Um, as a whole, man. But mm. the book really, in, in my context, is something one of my favorite chapters that I can pull from um, pulls on that it's entitled The Name You Know, right? So what does your name mean, right? How, how far are you willing to go to put your name on the line to be what you need to be, not for yourself, but for somebody else who's following in your footsteps uh, to hold and uphold legacy um, and uphold a certain standard that whatever it is that you represent, um, how to uphold that and bring good to your character, uh, the society, man, and, and stepping up and not being afraid to sacrifice who you are uh, for what you're gonna uh, for what you're going to become, man. So that's kind of a quick, a quick little uh, teaser, y'all would say. Mm. Um, and of course, it touches on uh, societal issues such as race and other things that are happening in the country, man, as a whole. But it's definitely a great book, and um, you know, the subtitle is "The Truth We've Never Thought About." Uh, if Obama had a son, right? The rhetorical question: What what, what would that have looked like to have a black male man in the White House? But the mm. bigger picture is he doesn't have a son. I mean, Sasha Malia can very well uh, hope to do or follow in their father's footsteps. But if he had a son, I believe the fact that um, he possibly wouldn't have been elected, man, because of that thought mm. of legacy. So it took about two hundred and nineteen years to have a black man elected. And the possible threat of having another one elected in the next 20 uh, to 25 years, I feel like may have been a little too much mm. for America to handle, right? Mm. Um, because no black, well, first of all, no son has been raised in the White House since uh, actually John Quincy Adams and also um, President John F. Kennedy Jr. actually had it. Well, John F. Kennedy had his son, John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, was the last son to be raised in the White House. Right, so I wonder what that would have looked like, man. So that's a quick tease for you. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and and I agree. I think I think the legacy chapter for me was uh, was one that I, I enjoyed reading through, and um, and I, I have a question on that, and we'll get to it. But I, I actually and kind of that 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 notion of if Obama had a son, I I didn't think about it in the way of of, of election, right? I didn't think about the future of, of our country and the future of where we'd want to go uh, in terms of who we'd elect in the future. As we know, obviously, you know, a lot of past presidents have been the sons, uh, you know, or the fathers of, you know, and have been related to each other. So what, it would be it would be a much more likely for, you know, an Obama Jr. to come back into office. And, and that's, and that's kind of, and that's crazy. And I, I wonder if that was maybe, you know, from the, the, I want to know, is that, is that, do you think that that's a conscious, uh, understanding that people have, or is that something that might be uh, a bit more subliminal and, and takes some, uh, some intention to really think about the, the magnitude of, of the, the, the seriousness of what you're, of what, of what we're talking about here? Oh, absolutely, man. So I feel like people always keep that in mind, you know, um, hmm. anybody who's accomplished something great or extends some type, shape or, or fashion of legacy, um, and they leave uh, the legacy being their children. You know, we expect them in, in some type of fashion to kind of step up and touch some of the mantle. Right. Not to necessarily pick it up in the exact same way, but to at least touch it in some form. Right. So when we saw uh, John F. Kennedy uh, when he was assassinated and they had his funeral and you look on the steps of the cathedral as they were about to take uh, his casket to the burial and uh, his mother actually or John F. Kennedy's wife. Old JFK Jr. man standing there on those steps, and when he saluted his father in 1963 as he was assassinated, 
He didn't know what it meant. You know, he stood on the steps of that cathedral, though, put his hand to his head and saluted his father. Little did he know, uh, three-year-old John John, man, told the world that one day, you know, this is this is going to be me. I'm next. That's what he subliminally said, right? So I think it always happens in that context. We don't necessarily uh, put the pressure on them from a young age, but anybody who's had some type of, of, of great history, man, we expect their uh their their offspring to, to pick up the mantle in some form or fashion, man. So mm. that's kind of like what I think it would have been like, man, to have a, a black boy in the White House. Imagine a young black boy going in the White House at ten years old. Yeah. You know, by the time he graduates um high school, he'll be leaving out. So Obama served two terms, of course. So when he graduates, he'll be eighteen or leaves the White House, he'll be eighteen, man. So you, you literally have eight years in the White House, right? So yeah. you probably will be a little uh, you'll be more popular than some some established politicians. You know, you'll be uh, kind of, in a sense, more powerful and uh, more politically in line and have that uh, consciousness to politics, right? You were literally raised as a black boy in the White House. I wonder what that would have looked like, man. Mm-hmm. And um, Honestly, for little Obama Jr., I would have felt a little pressure on his shoulders, definitely, with that. But I think it's always, you know, uh, kind of a subliminal consciousness that we have for anybody uh, that has a great stature. Uh, we expect their offspring or whoever they're close to to touch some part of that mantle. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, I want to bring this personal. I want this, I want to bring this into your story. So, uh, so you, so you're from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, son, son of Brandon Porter as well. Who's, who's a, who's a well-known, uh, pastor and author in Memphis. And, and this is, I mean, this is legacy itself, right? I mean, uh, he, he, he names you, you know, you after him, um, you're, you're in some, in some, you know, senses walking into his footsteps in in publishing and already publishing a book, um, just like he has as well. So, um, before, before we think about the, the effects of what happened, I want to kind of go back to you as a kid and think about when you were growing up as a young man, did did legacy mean anything to you? Um, and then what did you want to carry with you as you would develop into, into something future, right? You talk about sacrifice for something in the future. What, what did that look like for you? Wow. So man, growing up really, um, my father was, uh, my hero, you know, and the same for my, for my younger brother and my mother as well. Um, because they were just champions at, doing what they did you know we did church 24 7 you know that's how my brother and i grew up right um service to service so uh extracurricular we didn't have a lot of time for that but my father and my mother put as much time as they could into it right so you know even though he may have to be in uh california you know at at five o'clock that day say for instance we had a basketball game immediately after school at two o'clock he's gonna stay at that game until four o'clock when he has to go to the airport right or make sure we have some transportation to get to our basketball games um to get to our piano lessons whatever it was he made sure that it was in line with uh with sacrifice and even on his behalf right we didn't know we knew growing up that our father was extremely busy um and that he had a lot on his plate but I don't think we exactly recognized who he was, you know, to others until we got a little older. Uh, so probably middle school and kind of high school, we really started recognizing like, wow, um, you know, our dad is kind of a, a big deal. You know, I think the trip when he actually went to London, we were, I was maybe in like sixth or seventh grade, you know, he went overseas to preach um, and he told us, I, I'll never forget. He said, yeah, you're ready to go to London. I'm like, London, you know, yeah. they're calling you to preach out of the country. Like, yeah. wow, you're kind of, a, you know, you're actually a big deal, man. You know, so at that point, uh, his, his traveling and all of that made a lot of sense, right? So um, growing up, man, my brother and I, we, we were never angry or bitter at him for doing what he had to do, and my mother as well, um, because their entire lives, man, and, and his grandfather, or his dad was a bishop, uh, likewise, so. He kind of felt a little bit of the pain, but um, he knew how to handle us, man. My dad gave 110% of everything that he does. Um, and even then, when we were growing up, he made sure to be there when we needed him, you know. Um, so he may not have been at every single game, or he may not have been at every single extracurricular activity, but he made sure that he sacrificed more than the average uh, person of his stature would, man. So 
to me, you know, we understood what we had to go through. Um, and when we were younger, maybe like middle school, like early middle school and elementary, it, it was kind of like, man, wow. You know, why can't I have, you know, or go to practice like the other kids? You know, why can't I join Boy Scouts, you know, like the other kids? Why can't I go and enjoy a movie with friends or go hang out at my friend's house, you know, with the neighbors after school? You know, why am I always at church? Uh, why am I always here or there? You know, why do we always have to go out of town for church conventions and things of that nature? But, man, when we understood um, who he was and, and who our family was as we got older, man, the only thing or the only emotion we felt towards really him and my mother, man, was thankfulness, mm-hmm. you know, because so many people don't have it. You know, mm-hmm. so many people weren't blessed to have um, legacy in their household, man. So that bitterness, not even bitterness, but that that kind of why emotion turned into a sense of thankfulness, man, just mm-hmm. to be honored to, to have this man as my father, you know. So and he's been nothing but the best, man, the greatest influence the greatest motivation for my brother and I that we could ever ask for um, and the greatest man that I know to this day. Wow. That's awesome. Um, and, and I think something that really stuck out to me in that and what you, and just what you're talking about, about your father is this, the, the point of understanding who he was, uh, yeah. right. It took, it took some time, but once you and your brother and, and as you start to become aware of, of, Oh wow. Like, okay, he's, you know, he's preaching over in London now. Oh wow! Like I, I, yeah, he is really busy, but like he's, you know, he's doing so much stuff for us, and and he's continuously here for our basketball games, or you know, or coordinating piano or whatever that looked like, right? It was the the first step was to understand who you are, right? So as as uh, you know, for for yourself, uh, I guess how how do you think about like for for people to understand, uh, you know, looking kind of at at as a at a father like how how can we better understand who our father is as we uh if you're you know if you're somebody in high school or middle school that you know that maybe you're speaking to uh and and what advice would you have for them like okay like let's or maybe you don't have a a typical father either you know that has been around but then also and you can also answer this uh you know spiritual father too uh if that's something that hasn't been part of your life Right. So, man, first I, w- I would start with um, th- the thought of being grateful, right? Because okay. like we said before, man, and we even discussed when you were in the city, but um, everybody isn't blessed to be in a position of leadership like that, you know, or to have a direct model and role of leadership. So um, if you do have a spiritual father or even a biological father that's there, I would start, man, by certainly man, getting on your knees and saying thank you because there's somebody that's you know, um, literally a, a, a block away from you or everywhere, you know, that wasn't privileged to even have that that leverage, man. But speak to that point, man, when you know or when you understand who you are, you can handle where you are. It's as simple as that. Anytime you understand who you are, you can handle where you are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I understood in that position, man, that my father, even when he was promoted to, uh, to bishop, right, and then uh, went on to be on the general board of... Uh, Kojic, the Church of God in Christ, uh, mm-hmm. which oversees about six six million members, man, worldwide. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, it went from sharing your father with about 4,000 people, you know, 4,000, 5,000 people to now sharing it with six million, right? So I only understood that the only thing that got me through that was understanding who I was, you know, um, in, the, in the point of understanding where I was, right? So I knew who my dad was, so I knew what was to come in a sense, right? I knew what I had to surpass. I knew that since, you know, he oversees this amount of people or whatever, you know, he's moving here and there, I can have an edge by learning from that, you know? So I started to point out the pros of the situation, not the cons. You know, when I was younger, it's always about me, me, me. Now, as you grow older, you understand that you almost have an edge on life, man, because you have, or even with spiritual fathers, you have somebody to look at and go after. Now it's kind of like, man, um, this is what I can do to better that. You know, this is what I can do to push that legacy. And you become eager because now you feel a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. You feel like you're finally starting to understand your purpose. So it's not so much anymore, man, why is this happening to me? But man, I understand it. I get it. You know, how can I push forward to become uh, an addition to that? How can I carry this legacy on to a level uh, that he reached or to a level he might? You know, so that's kind of the thought, man. When mm-hmm. you know who you are, you can understand exactly where you are. 
Yeah. When you know yeah. when you know who you are, you can exactly understand where you are. Is that correct? Yep. That's it, man. Amen. You know who you are. Yeah. Or you can handle where you are. I can say that better. You know who you are, you can handle where you are. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I, so speaking on this, on family, uh, there was a time in your life when, when the, when your family name came into question, uh, obviously a challenging time that you touched on in the book. Um, but I, I don't believe you fully elaborated on the, on the story. So, uh, I, I love to hear, uh, if you're comfortable sharing uh, a bit more about, about this. Yeah, man. So, uh, I went off to college in 2013, um, Memphis, first of all, is a small city to me. You know, to some it might seem large, but everybody knows everybody in Memphis, man. Like, you can't go anywhere without knowing someone. So I feel so. When I got to Atlanta, it was just, you know, a totally different world, right? Um, it was a culture shock for me. Uh, so I, I knew that, you know, um, I would say I guess I was somewhat sheltered here in Memphis, you could say. But when I got to Atlanta, I was on my own. So freshman year was definitely an experience for me, man. And it got to a point where... Um, I wouldn't say I got buck wild or crazy, but I got to the point where I really wasn't attending service like that, man, or, or finding a church home. I wasn't going after God the way I should have been going after God. Um, I started letting friends influence me, man. And it got to the point where, you know, parents are always spiritually connected in some way. They know, um, even if you don't tell them when something is wrong or when your character starts to change. Uh, so I started hanging around, man, with the wrong clique, the wrong group. Um, going out, man, doing just ridiculous things, man, to the point where my father, I felt like, could sense that I was getting away from my foundation. That's the That was the craziest thing because everybody's not blessed to have that, right? So I knew right from wrong. You know, where some people go out, they genuinely are ignorant to what is right. I knew exactly what was right and what I was supposed to be doing. Um, you know, but I was advocating the fact I knew that and chose to do the opposite. Um, and then my first, really, it was the first semester, man, I, I kind of slipped up. Um, I was just ignoring everything that people told me, even upperclassmen saying, look, keep your head on and got down on the bar, man. And I was, uh, it got to a point where my father would check in. I wouldn't even want to talk because I knew I would feel conscious heavy when speaking to him. You know, my grades began to slip. And my character as a whole, because I wasn't in tune with God. Um, and I knew my father felt that. And as firstborn, anything that you do, your younger siblings watch. Right. So I kind of felt like my brother man felt uh, like I was going astray as well. And it may have rubbed off a little bit on him, you know, because he looks up to me. And so my father felt that. But when I got the bigger picture, um, it catch, I actually came home for Christmas break, had a nice little talk with him. Um, and he can't, I would never, you know, lie to my father because he already knows the truth. Anything yeah. parents ask you, they already know the <laughs> yeah. answer. So, yeah. You know, I came back, had a heart to heart with the man, and I really got my stuff together when I went back um, and made people out there in Atlanta respect me uh, for who I was as the branded in Memphis. You know, I didn't try to be anybody else after that incident or after that, you know, whole fiasco of that semester. I came back and said, look, I am who I am. You know, yeah. I'm Brandon Porter the second, and I can't fake it. I can't be anybody else. Um, and what's crazy is when you start to get out of that vein, man, people know uh, when you're supposed to be something. So sometimes people will come to me and be like, man, you ain't even, you, you're not even supposed to be doing this. You know, you're not even supposed to be out partying like this. You don't even look right. You don't even uh, seem right doing certain things, you know? Yeah. So other people will give you that conviction as well, man. So I came back. Had that conversation with my dad, man, and I was I was just broken, you know, because he was telling me he was hurt just at my character switch up, kind of, you know, and um, mm -hmm. just letting me know. And I felt that sense of legacy, right? I felt that slipping out of my hand, slowly but surely. I didn't understand it, but when I came home and I, and I sensed it, man, and I felt the urgency that he had for me to be great, I felt that slipping away from him. Right. Because no father wants to see their son slip out of the comfort or out of the foundation that they've spent their entire life laying for them. Um, and no father wants to leave, you know, their legacy to somebody else other than, you know, their natural borns, um, in my opinion, if they're doing the right thing. So that conviction was enough to get me back on track, man, um, and get me the, the boat back rowing, man, to uh, that second semester. So I was thankful that I was that my dad was open enough to to convict me in the way that he did and say, look, you need to talk to me. If you have something going wrong, talk to me about it, you know, because I can already sense it. So, yeah, yeah man, but 
Atlanta, Atlanta was Atlanta. I would <laughs> say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, just, for, you know, for people who are listening right now, or just, I, I think this is a, a good example of the, uh, the the prodigal son, too, right? This is something where right. you, you know, except you're the older son, but uh, and I believe it's the younger son that, that goes away. So it's in the, in the Bible, it talks about the prodigal son, the one who uh, kind of, you know, had the kind of had a maybe an easier path being being the younger younger son you know kind of could follow in his, in his brother's brother's footsteps and ends up ends up straying away going to you know foreign land or to a new place uh yep. to, to be on his own right and I, I think we all have this we all have that instinct we all have this instinct and this uh this desire to to go and be our own uh, and be and but then I, I think and which is tr- which is great but I think the challenge is when we go and we we try and put on a new identity uh, it, it always it always backfires right um, it, you know if you're gonna go somewhere and do something uh, now I think what we have to do is actually to kind of take it up a, a up a notch because you're gonna have more temptations than than you were at home you know for for you know good handful a good handful of people so um, I just, I look at that as kind of a, a, a mini example of the, the, uh, the old prodigal son, um, which is cool. Um, and something, uh, also I want to, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, right. Like you, you knew better, you, you knew that you, you saw what right was, right. You, you had the, the knowledge to, to understand what, what being a good son was, what path to walk you know, what, what to do, what not to do. Um, and, but I think there's a lot of people that, uh, are ignorant. Right. And I think, um, ignorant can kind of get viewed as like, Oh yeah, you know, he's just ignorant about it. And it can kind of get brushed off. Like he, he doesn't, he's not like, he doesn't care about it or like it doesn't affect him. But when we, something you mentioned is the word ignorant comes from that word ignore. Right. So there's this notion to, to 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 ignore something that is uh that is is relevant that is prominent that that you should care about um, even even if you're not the offender or the offended right there's so 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 something I want to kind of shift into is 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 uh, when we look at racism it's a a deep rooted challenge that many people are ignorant about uh, I, I think that's first people uh, people ignore it right if it doesn't affect them if they're not the offended or the offender they might not look at it um, and view it as the same. So, looking at yourself uh, in the book, you, or you know, and just in general, you share that this is actually something that you were shielded shielded from. Uh, you know, as a, as a young black man in in Memphis, you were you were you were you know in, in school, and you were sheltered from a lot of maybe what was going on in the in in the city uh, or outside of outside of you know your the. The church doors are outside of the outside of your house, um, and you know it, this wasn't part of your day to day. So you know why why did it matter to you, and why why should you write about it? But when you went to Morehouse College, obviously Atlanta, you wrote that book, and and then something that you that you didn't find yourself directly in, you 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 started to speak out on, you started to 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 explore and to look into a bit deeper. Uh, that was something that was greater than yourself. So. Um, I, I just want to kind of chat a bit more about that and, and when the, maybe the, the turning point for you was and, and how you were able to speak about something, um, that you weren't directly affected in. Yeah, man. So growing up, um, of course I, I kind of explained in the book that I was, you know, grew up in a majority, um, pretty much a, a balanced type of school just about, but I, I would say 70% was Caucasian, um, and Asian and the other 30% was uh, uh, Latinos and, of course, Blacks, man. So, really, I wasn't in an environment of growing up I didn't have, in high school, racism hit me um, extremely hard in terms of how we talk about it in the older days, right? You know, you may have a guy or, or a kid playing around, and, you know, they say, um, what's up, my nigga, you know, quote-unquote, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or something like that. But those were the encounters, right? I didn't understand the kind of, uh, uh, when I saw actually my senior year Trayvon Martin get shot down, you know, that's when my eyes kind of opened up. I was like, okay, 
what is this? You know, we read about it and we kind of hear about it in the environment, excuse me, the environment that I'm in right now. We're not super affected about it in, in, in that way. Right. It's kind of like you said before, subtle. Yeah. So, man, when I went off to school and I, I had that Trayvon situation in my heart after that encounter, man, that really was what kind of opened it up for me. Like, wow, you know, somebody my age was literally just shot down and killed, you know, over and I, um, what is really going on? Man, when I got to Morehouse, man, I came back that freshman year. Actually, I started to write on that from the, the sense of Trayvon Martin, man. That was really what I had in my heart. And I looked into a couple other cases as well just to figure out exactly what it was. And as in the process of writing in the book, man, the Michael Brown situation occurred. Mm. You know, so from there, I'm like, wow, you know, um, kind of prayed on it. And I was like, God. I am, these, these young men are my age, you know, um, I stay in, in, in Carrieville, Tennessee, uh, which is maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes outside of Memphis. Um, and I'm in Memphis a lot, but what if this is me? You know, what if, what if this is Brandon or what if this is my younger brother on the news, you know, Bryson, um, being shot down and killed and I'm not exempt from that anymore. You know, that's what kind of struck me. And I felt a conviction to speak out because one, uh, I had developed the platform to do so, you know, or I was developing. So I wanted to find a bigger platform to speak on, man. And I felt like writing this book and speaking to my people as well as others and making them, for those who, who were ignorant to racism, uh, making them understand that it does still exist, right? So it may not be on the sun's water fountains anymore, but it definitely still exists in the hearts of men, um, mm -hmm. undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. um, so even as, man, the project came along and the book was published in November uh, 2014, after, it was maybe a few months after, man, like I told you guys, I was in the mall one day and I was on the elevator actually going up to a store and a guy saw me with my shirt on, right? Uh, I had this, mama had a son t-shirt, just came out, literally had a fresh package sent to Atlanta so I could rock it, right? From Memphis. <laughs> yes, yes. And I had it on and the guy asked me, you know, uh, an older Caucasian man asked me, he said, you know, what is it, you know, what does your shirt mean? And I started telling him, you know, the thoughts about the book. I didn't tell him that I was the author at all. So I went on and he was like, but he doesn't, you know, and I really think he's horrible. You know, his words were, you know, blankety blank of a president. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. And he was like, I went on to explain to him about it. And then he got a little more offensive. And I went on to go ahead and tell him, um, look, you know, I'm the author of this book, you know, and I, I said, actually, quite to the contrary, and started kind of going back at him. And I educated him on certain things. Right. So when I started to educate him, this is where it got a little a little messy. Um, he was stunned, right? I had on jeans, I had my hat turned to the back, I had on a nice t-shirt and my kicks. So he wasn't expecting anything, first and foremost, um, of intellect to come out of my mouth at all, at all. Um, mm. But one thing about that I can say, to prepare ourselves to speak to those who are ignorant to the topic, you have to understand history, right? If you don't understand history, then you're condemned to repeat it. Simple as that. You have to know history. You have to know the book. So as he began to get a little vulgar with me, I explained to him, uh, broke down the facts to him. And he was sitting there just, man, really astonished. Like, wow, this 19-year-old black boy is sitting here educating me. You know, I had to have been every bit of uh, upwards of 50 years old. And he couldn't accept that. And he just got off the elevator and continued to cuss at me um, and went on his way. You know, but you have to know how to operate. As Dr. King always said, my father really loves to emphasize anything you do, any type of education, you operate out of love. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if you didn't experience it, you're getting to know it a little better. So that was really my first head on encounter in terms of me understanding what this was around the city. It was bigger than just, you know, uh, maybe the white boy calling me that growing up in school just because he heard it on TV or wanted to say it because he heard it in a song. He wanted to test me to see if I would allow him to say it. This was a bigger encounter, right? Because this is coming from someone who uh, possibly was around during those times and understood it for a deeper reason. Um, so that situation really opened up my eyes. And at that moment, I understood that, look, I really have to catapult this book um, because mm. this is going to be my foundation in my of my platform. Mm. Right. To speak on this for others who don't have a voice to do so um, and to make it popular. Right. So so many times young black men feel like it's it's it's, uh, you know, lame or it's not cool to be able to speak on politics and even speak up as, you know, a well versed young man um, when it's really contrary the opposite 
you know, this is what we need to become. This is what we are, you know. Um, like we all said, we just came from the conference, man. We're all kings and queens. Mm. Um, but we have to understand that and know that and know who you are and know your voice and use it in the right way. Um, because some gifts, man, can become contorted, right? Gifts are given, but fruit is developed. You know, when you eat medicine on an empty stomach, or when you take medicine on an empty stomach, it has the wrong effects. Simple as that. You have to know when you have a gift, if you don't use that in the right way, then, it, you know, it can become perverted. Right. So you have to know how to develop that and, and make sure that your fruit is developed. Right. You can have a gift and it, it can be gone away. So I knew after writing this book, man, like God had blessed me with the ability to be able to communicate and um, really do that through writing as well as speaking. So, you know, I had to develop that. And that was one of my first tests of doing that to a person of hatred, you know, and exercising that in love, man. So that was, that's my main pivot for doing that, man. Just understanding the platform that I have and growing in that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. And I, I, I really think you, you, you modeled the, the way of Martin Luther King Jr. in, in, uh, in obviously, I mean, several folds, right? Nonviolent resistance, nonviolent resistance, um, speaking from love. Uh, but then, you know, one of his fam famous letters from Birmingham jail, uh, he wrote to the white clergymen uh, ab about that this issue has to be taken up in the streets, right? This this can't this can't be left. The the issue it can't be left for for the courts. It can't we can't push it off, and because it, it starts to lose it starts to to lose its personal uh, personality. It starts to lose its it starts to lose the effect, right? When, when we when we continue to push things off and. And, and push them to someone else or like we don't own it and it it loses the the passion the emotion that we can have and, exactly. and the power that we can that we can just do on our own right and i think a lot of times we think that we have to, that you know the situation has to be right we have to we have to have a really big platform or we have to do this to make change but like like no but this this was a catalyzing moment for you this was a catalyzing yeah. moment right because you 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 took a you know I, I'm sure you, it, it felt awkward it didn't feel right uh, to speak to speak on this right I'm sure it felt weird but but then but also I, I'm sure at the end it felt like all right this this is this is the truth like this is this is out of love this is this is what he, he needs to hear and this is like what I need to keep doing um, yeah. so it was empowering right and I uh, and I, I really like that because um it's it, that that just shows yeah it, it just shows how real it is so uh yeah so, so just th thanks thanks for sharing that example yeah definitely um and uh i, I guess um on on that um so you mentioned education is important right education is important for for touching on this issue um but it's but it's still a heart issue as well right, right. like like I, coming from the northeast myself um i i think you know there's generally a uh there's a higher there's a lot there's a higher percentage of people who are educated in terms of you know book book education uh and in, in academia and in, in massachusetts wherever but there's still but i i do believe that there's still this this deeper racism that still exists um in in, in a lot of people right it's something that uh i think is always good there's, there's always going to be a small part of us if something goes terribly wrong or like i think people have that initial reaction right it's like it, it's almost i don't know it, it can be comfortable for some people which is which yeah. is really bizarre um but uh but so to get to the heart um kind of how have you thought about getting to the heart of somebody um to 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 really kind of get down to the root cause um and 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 eliminate this for you know, not only people uh, who might have extreme hatred, but for maybe for some people that uh, that it's kind of deep down in there, but they don't really know it's there. Yeah, man. So the first thing is understanding that um, racism, man, is systemic. You know, it's something that has been taught. You know, actually, there was there was a commercial long ago. Um, I was definitely probably in early high school, man, but it was showing it was a, a young uh, girl and her mother. They were at the park. And actually, it was a young black girl that was playing in the park and a young Caucasian uh, mother and her uh, Caucasian young girl. They were at the park as well. So uh, the two girls were playing, man. And all of a sudden, her mother, uh, the young white girl's mother came up and asked her, you know, what she told her. She said, look, come here. 
you know, she said, you can't play over there anymore. We have to go. Mm. Uh, so the daughter was looking at her, you know, and just very perplexed, asking, you know, why, you know, mom, why do we have to go, mom? You know, what, what's the problem? You know, is it time ago? We just got here not too long ago. Um, and she just tells her, we have to go. You know, you can't play with her. So when she made that statement, you know, she asked why, you know, why am I not allowed to do so? Um, what's the problem? And her mother just flat was stood there and couldn't explain anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was just the, the visual of um, understanding that, you know, racism is systemic, man. The truth and innocence are born in delivery rooms every day. Every single day, truth and uh, truth and innocence are born, man. You know, when babies come out, they don't they don't know what's what. You know, they don't care who they play with as long as it makes them smile. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but it's something that has been taught. And when you deal with with understanding and, and letting people know about it, man, you have to understand that some people genuinely do not know. You know, in my father's new book, um, the multicultural church, true or false. Uh, he talks about uh, a guy out of California, actually now Los Angeles, California, that he became very close with named Arnie, man. And um, Arnie's a big time. He's kind of a, a movie writer. But he grew up in Wyoming, I believe. And the first time he saw a black man uh, was actually in, I think he said, about the eighth grade. Yep. You know, he's literally in the eighth grade. And this was his first time seeing a black man, you know, and, and where he was from. Of course, they were taught, you know, look, Black men are no good. Black women are no good. You know, treat them the opposite of how we are. You know, they're less than um, and beast-like, you know. But it went on, and he began to explain in his book that Arnie went on, and the person that actually transplanted a liver to him, right, or, excuse me, a blood transfusion, the person and the man was black, you know. So he went on, and he told my dad, he said, look, Bishop, you know, now I grew up in the first time seeing a black man. Now I'm really, you know, partially black. So... <laughs> Give me now, man. But that that just goes to show, you know, this yeah. man didn't see a black man until the eighth grade, and it was embedded in him, and it was taught to him to look on us as less than. So we have to understand people's perspectives and where people are from, and learn how to deal with that and approach it. If you're going to operate out of hate, don't even, you know, don't don't even approach it, right? Because you're going to be ignorant while doing so. You're going to come in anger. You're going to come in hate. You're going to say things that you probably shouldn't say. You know, you're definitely going to get out of character in doing so because you're upset. Emotion can't take over that. You genuinely have to have a heart to educate those who understand. Now, those who choose not to understand, who know better, and choose not to, you can't deal with those, right? Um, those are just going to be people who are going to live in that main, live in hate. But if you live in hate, you can't operate in love, right? So it takes, you know, a lot more anger, a lot more muscles in the face to, to frown than it does to smile, man. We know that from, from simple, uh, basic book skills and um Man, you just have to know who to talk to and how to talk to them. But you can't save everybody. You know, don't yeah. go out of your way to save somebody who doesn't even want to save themselves sometimes, you know, if you've done it over and over. Um, so it's about picking your perspectives and picking your poison as well, man. But hmm. I definitely believe that you should touch as many people as you can. And if you're genuine, people have to listen to you. Right. They're forced to understand a, a, a clear and, and a, a vile heart man, understanding. So they have to get the point. You have to be genuine and sincere in doing so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah. So, so uh, in this in this conversation, we've chatted a lot about this idea of fruit, um, yeah. right? And I mean, it's definitely biblical. And I'm sure being <laughs> being around and with your with your dad, I'm sure you've hear, you've heard this many times, and it just it just gotten into your vocabulary by now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but you, you, you know, there's this analogy that I, I really love that, that you mentioned. It's about the tree and the fruit. Um, so can you just kind of, uh, explain what this is? Um, and then, and then we can kind of elaborate from there too. Oh, absolutely, man. So my, one of my dad's favorite phrases, man, it was really one of my, my granddad. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, his favorite phrases too, as well. Um, but I kind of took the sense to elaborate on it a little more, but it's, he, he always stated, you know, I've never seen a tree eat its own fruit. So at first, you know, and I, I always used to hear my dad say, you know, talk about it, this and that. I'm like, okay, dad, whatever, tree, fruit, cool. You know, we got fruit right here. You want to eat that? Like, what's up? <laughs> so like, yeah, I, like, I got I got basketball practice in 30 minutes. Like, come on. <laughs> exactly. Like, nobody cares about trees and fruits, <laughs> you know? But little did I know him taking to me or, or taking me to whatever it was I had to be a part of, man, was that tree, you know. Um, so I've never seen a tree 
eat its own fruit. Essentially, man, in a nutshell, that means, look, nothing you do on this earth is for you. Nothing, right? Everything is going to be for the growth um, and for the progressiveness of someone else, right? So uh, we're doing this podcast right now. You had the mind, man, to start this podcast show, this wonderful show, man, not for you, you know, but but for others who wanted to hear, you know, and to develop themselves and grow further in Christ, man, grow further in their careers, grow further in their relationships, grow further in their faith, man, grow further in whatever it is that they aspire to do. You created this show, man. To do so, not to touch just you, but to touch mm-hmm. others, you know, to touch not only the country, but the world. And that is what it's about as a whole, man. Um, anything we do on this planet, any gift we're given, man, is, is meant to go to someone else. Right. My father always says, and I always say as well, but right behind him, you know, uh, bless people, bless people. Simple as that. You know, if you're a blessing to someone else, then it's apparent that you have to be blessed. You have to be, you know, if you if I can be a blessing to somebody else that's around, whether that be, you know, monetary or, or you know, uh, solely by giving them advice or whatever it is, spiritual blessings, whatever. If I can give a blessing, man, I have to be blessed. I have to be. That's just the way it works. You know, that's a lot of land. But you have to know anything you do, man, is, is for someone else. You know, like every day. I'm, I'm, I'm single. I don't have a wife. You know, I don't have any children at uh, 23 years old. But, man, I work and I, and I and I try to do my best every day like I do wake up to a wife and children. You know, that's because I know that it, that's something that's coming. Right. And that everything that I'm doing right now is going to be for the betterment of not only their lives, man, but one day to repay my father. You know, one day to repay my mother for all the things my grandparents as well and those who have helped me. Um, so when you understand why you're doing something, man, you can you can go from there. Um, but if you're selfish in your in your reasons to do better, um, if you're selfish in, you know, getting money, getting money, this, getting money, that. Yeah. So I can buy the newest this and the latest that. Yeah, that's cool and all, you know, but where's the substance in it? You know, that's not really a why factor. You know, that's something that is, you know, can you can get today and, and lose tomorrow, man. But you understand the people that have helped you get to where you are, you know, and the people that aren't blessed to have the platform and the privilege that you have. And that will never it's, it's so crazy, Tyler, man, to think that some people will never have a change in life if you don't speak to them. Yeah. Literally, it's just yeah. wild to think, you know, somebody if you didn't do this podcast Somebody might not have the strength, man, to wake up and say, look, I want to go another day. You know, somebody could have had a suicidal thought or something. But listen to your podcast from thousands of miles away. And just because they stumbled upon your podcast or you posted it on social media and they said, you know what? Look, you know, let me check this out. You know, and, and who knows? You know, they may have, they could have had a domestic violence case that night. They could have gone through a horrible situation at school. You know, they could have gone through a horrible situation at work. And the next, that night, they could have wanted to end their life, man. But to know that you created this in love and hope that somebody else will be inspired, them hearing a 30-minute to 60-minute session with you talking with whoever it was to get encouraging words or even yourself, that saved their life. That's powerful, man. You know, to know that you can have that much control of God gives us. Um, the platform to do these type of things is something that's very, very pivotal, man. So in anything you do, you have to understand that it's for somebody else. It's never going to be for you in any situation, man. So knowing that a tree doesn't need its own fruit is big. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah. well, 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 thank you for that encouragement. Um, Absolutely. Uh, if there is any doubt of me continuing this podcast, nah, I, I, I have no more doubts. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I love that. And um I mean that's right. You know why? Why gain the whole world if you're gonna lose your soul? Uh, Absolutely. So, so I, exactly. I, so I mean it's it, there's there's so much that we can do as people and uh, and exactly I mean pe- people impact other people right and, and right. we have the opportunity to you to be to be vehicles to be the hands and feet uh, that can connect with others whether it's through yeah whether it's through inspiration providing an inspirational word whether it's healing and helping them through a through a tough time and supporting them whether it is physically you know working for somebody else so that we can have them to 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 allow them to have a livelihood and make income and as you said it's this i i it's what i really appreciate your wisdom on this is you're you're living every day as if you had a family and kids because a a that's just i mean that's just a good word that's like that's the truth like there will be a day when that happens 
Um, yeah. but, but two it is, it's not only planning for the future, but it is, it is creating a mindset that, that has this alternate reality of where you are today. Right. And it's putting, it's putting this new mindset and this new perspective, which makes you years older than you actually are and not years older in age, but years older, older in wisdom. So, um, I, I really like hearing that. Uh, the last, I just have a last, last few questions. Um, Want to know what advice you have for for young young folks, uh, people, you know, millennials, college students, whoever uh, who are interested in, in learning more about about Jesus, uh, or you know, maybe they're uh, looking to get to reengage their faith or, or get deeper. Right. So, I mean, essentially, man, you have to go for what you want from God. Right. You have to really search for it. You know, um, a lot of people look for it and they they relate things to money nowadays you know but god we have to know that god wants us to be in a position um of strength you know he wants us to be in a position of functioning right he wants us to be financially stable um but he doesn't want the money to make us you know it's it's money or things like that that we're so taught through social media and all of that nowadays um which really has a huge part of who we are because we're on it every single minute of every day but we have to know how to distinguish certain things, right? And know that it's it's always knowing, like, you don't have to learn to, like, really, in my opinion, we reject Christ so many times because we feel like he's never there. We're not going to go through anything, right? Or uh, we should just have this easy road to success. But if we go after God, man, he has to come forth to us. As simple as that. If you read your word, you will get revelation, right? If you read, read your word and seek, you know, the Holy Spirit of God, he has to give you comfort, mm. right? Because we know the Holy Spirit is there to comfort. Um, and we know that God is there as a whole to comfort us. And you'll never leave us for forsake us, man. But you have to be willing to put all you can in line for him, mm. right? God operates out of love, you know? So who are we to hurt him? You know, every day in our lives, we want something from God, but every single day, he looks down on us, and I, I think of him as like a father, you know, which he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see, you know, or think about uh, if I do something to hurt my own father, you know, and go back and say, look, Dad, you know, can you help me with this? But I won't even put forth the effort to help him, right, or to mm-hmm. help his board or to help his dominion, you know. So we have to know that God wants us to win, but we have to give him all that we can, man, literally all that we can give him, you know, have the stewardship of humility, man. Um, God wants peace, not problems in everything that we have to do. Right. So for whosoever exalted himself shall be abased, right. Mm. And whosoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Right. So we know that through all things, God is going to be our strength and position. We'll be fine. You just have to know that God has to be the base. You know, every good and perfect gift comes from God, you know, comes from above, straightened from the Father of lights, whom does not change like shifting shadows. Simple. Anything that we get on this earth, any gift comes from God. You know, we can't discredit that. You know, so if God is our center of priority, you know, or or he's a passion for us. You have to make God a passion. You have to make, you know, being a Christian a passion. You know, the first priority, if anything you make, that's a passion. You know, it has to be priority. Simple as that, you know, and, and we have to learn how to get back to making God the base. And if you feel like God's not there or you're not hearing from him, isolate yourself, you know, have time of meditation every day before you wake up. You know, it doesn't have to be that hour, two hours, man, take five to ten minutes when you wake up, man, and tell God, thank you for allowing me to see another day um, and ask for discernment, a spirit of discernment on what to do in your life, you know, how to become better, um, how to grow through him. You know, how to find and develop yourself, like we just said, uh, with the tree analogy, not for just you, but how can you develop through God to be a help to somebody else to lead them back to him, right? To be an example, Um, because everything we are, even Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, you know, but he was literally a walking testimony of who God is. That's what we have to be on earth, man, walking testimonies of who God is. You know, there can never be any position uh, of promotion if we don't understand who God is ever. Mm-hmm. So as long as we keep him first and the center of everything we do, then uh, things have to pay off. You know, things have to come to fruition. Anything we pray for, you know, and God will never, or it says God will give you the desires of your heart, you know, and that's very true. Uh, but you have to believe it, man, and confess with your mouth uh, that you believe that God is, is Lord and Savior. And I promise from there, God tells you, you know, if, if you want to make God laugh, tell me your plans. 
from that point, you know, yeah. um, because he has so much more in store for us than we could even ever imagine. But as long as we keep him a priority, things will pay off. Mm. Incredible. So, so seek, so seek truth, um, have God as your foundation, uh, make it a priority um, and, and believe that he has a plan for your life because he does. Yep. Always, man, you know, and, and you can never communicate what you don't understand, you know, so you have to have an understanding of who he is, mm. you know, uh, knowledge is power, man. And, and, and God gives us that through talking and through discernment. And sometimes you can be afraid of the wrong things because you have a lack of understanding. Yeah. You know, some things in life we may go through um, and without Christ, we'll be like, wow, our world is really, really ending. You know, I don't know how I can continue to go forward. But if you know God, and you know Christ mm. from there, from that point. The only thing you're saying in your mind is I've been through worse. You know, he, he hasn't brought me this far to leave me. You know, I, I know that God, if I just went through all of this hell, you know, I know God is going to come forth with something miraculous to get me out of this position uh, because I know and I trust who he is. Right. I have all faith in him. So when we give him that faith, man. Uh, and I call my uncle and uncle, uh, my uncle Ronnie Harris, man, is academic. He always gives acronyms for anything man and one of my favorite friends is hope you know having hope through god what is hope heavenly overflowing promises expected mm. through anything we do man um as long as we keep him first mm. I, I i like that that expected too so it's yeah. a, it's this essence that like we can we we can have assurance and, and clarity that there is gonna that there will be a day when when it is real, uh, revealed to us, and when we can all, you know, live in, you know, in, in eternal salvation. So, uh, absolutely, man. I like that. Uh, all right, awesome. Uh, we're closing in. Uh, so the last last question I had, I just want to figure, uh, want to know where uh, people can find you and the work God's doing in you, and if there's anything that you, anything else you'd like to mention or share um, that's on your heart, uh, would love to hear that too. Man, yeah, so um, actually you can, if you have any requirements or requirements on um, the book, the book is now um, on Amazon and also on Kindle, um, and it's also available at bbp3publishing.com. Um, again, that's bbp3publishing.com, and uh, I will actually have some uh, dates listed or, or catalog of dates listed on my website of uh next feature dates that are coming in the next few months um any city that i'm going to be in i'll have that posted also on social media on uh, twitter and instagram and facebook as well you can follow me at brandon porter uh the second that's just two lowercase eyes at the end and man be all you can be first and foremost too i want to tell you thank you man for being who you are you know not just to uh the community where you are locally and not just to this country man but like i said to the world um and just thank you for having me a part of this amazing interview man you really shocked me with character in terms of just man how the, the air of humbleness that you had you know um and and, and your desire to, to be the best that you can man and even when you spoke into, to my life you know just general conversation it really blessed me man and it really pushed me to know who you are further so i'm i'm just man thankful and like i said before honored to be a part of this show man because i know that god has a lot in store for you as well tyler man so thank you uh for not only being a friend but fan of, for being a brother you know and a true disciple who crushed yourself and allowing me to be a part of the show with you awesome well th thanks so much i i really am, i'm humbled and and appreciative of that and uh and as you mentioned earlier, it's something for bigger than myself. So uh, I, I play a I play a piece to this puzzle, and and um, we're, we only grow if we if we come together and unite as brothers. So I'm glad to have you here as as a brother, and, and just sh and not only share a message for today, um, but also be together for you know for a lot more time to come too. So so thank you for that. Um, and just to wrap up, I'd love for you to close us out in prayer. Uh, Close us out in prayer and just close out the the podcast as well. Absolutely, man. Right, thank, thank you, Father, first and foremost, mm. for blessing us uh, with the with the physical life that we have, the, the air to wake up this morning, God. We thank you for the small things, God, the functions of our limbs, God, the, the, the right mind, God. We thank you for being 
who you are, Lord. We thank you for allowing us today to gather and have this podcast, God, not just for us, like we said earlier, but for those who are in need of it, God, for those who are searching and yearning for your word, God, for those who are searching to go further in life, God, for those who are searching to go further in you spiritually, God. Um, We thank you, God, for gathering us today, God. We thank you for allowing us to be able to speak and talk to those who definitely hear and, and are really eager to get after you, Lord. And we thank you because we know that whoever hears this podcast around this world, God, we know that they will be touched and inspired by this message, Lord. And we just ask that you give us the strength to continue, God, and give us the strength to continue everything that we do to be done to your glorification and done in your will, God, because we know that nothing can prosper, God. Nothing can grow. Nothing can thrive without you. And we know that all things are done in your son, Jesus' name, we pray. It's already done. Amen. It's already done. Amen. Amen. And thank you once again, Tyler. I definitely appreciate it.